Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Jen Allen. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here with you, Janice. It's great. It's absolutely, we've talked about how wonderful Chicago is and it's snowing over there and uh, the wind's coming this side. So we're connected. We are connected. <laughs> blowing into the wind here. <laughs> so um, first of all, let's talk about um, in the way that companies are having to adapt post-pandemic, what are the real changes that you see Um in sales that companies are having to deal with? Yeah, so I love this question. Um, it's something at Challenger we've been studying every year, pre-pandemic, so back since the recession, right? And I think one of the things that we all know deeply well is that sales is constantly changing. So I love talking about this. Um, I think for me, the biggest, biggest two changes are one, how much all of us operating in a remote virtual world has upped the bar on the need to have quality sales conversations, quality sales experiences, right? So if I put myself in the shoes of a buyer and I think about what their calendars look like and how every day it's just zoom, 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 right? It is so easy for us as sellers to get lost in a busy calendar. And we might feel like, hey, we had a really high impact conversation, but then they hop to the next meeting and it falls flat. And so I think now more than ever, it really puts pressure on sales leaders to make sure they're arming their teams to go out and talk about more than just products and features and benefits and really have compelling, memorable conversations with our buyers. So that's piece one. The second thing is just the rise of consensus buying, right? So we've been studying this for years looking at on average how many stakeholders are getting involved in a B2B purchase decision. And between 2015 and 2020, so this doesn't even count the last two years, that number went from 5.4 stakeholders on average up to 11.2. So it is not to say that every sale and every B2B motion has 11 stakeholders involved in it. But candidly, when I when I share this with sales organizations, sometimes people are like, I would love to have only 11. I have 20, I have 30, right? And so regardless of what the number is, what it presents is a huge amount of potential dysfunction in that buying group. And so we as sellers, in addition to having to prove our value and do all the things we've always done, now we almost have to act as kind of couples therapists for our customers and help them arrive at a clear understanding of the problem that they're looking to solve before we ever get into the solution. So to me, those are two of the biggest changes. Those are the things that I think are really forcing our hand to change the type of sales conversations we're having. But what do you think? Well, you know, I think you're absolutely right. That's why we're having to work with the uh, the onus on how do you move people from no decision and the status quo it must be so hard it's like the titanic trying to steer them in another direction that perhaps there's a few champions and sponsors that know it's the right decision but actually getting all of those 11 or 20 people around that table to make the decision and move away from the status quo it takes a lot of energy so 
I completely agree with you, but we've still got to overcome that as salespeople. Yes, absolutely. And you raise a really interesting point, which is you, you commented about like you may have a few people in that buying group that want to move with you. We studied that as well. Now, this number was shocking to me. When you look at it, of all the people who want to buy your solution, like they actually want it, only 49% of them are willing to advocate for it. So the other 51% are sitting there saying, yeah, I want it. I talk to these people all the time, right? They're the, half of the reason I have closed lost opportunities. Yeah, I want it, but I won't bang my fist on the table. When somebody else brings another priority in, I get very quiet. And so half the battle for us as sellers is not only getting someone to want it, but getting someone to actually mobilize it and stand up and fight for it and choose it over other things. And I think that's yet another challenge we have sellers really have to navigate is making sure we're saying the right things to the right people. So how do you overcome that? Because I found I find that quite shocking, actually, that you know that it's going to be in the best interest of the company. You're there because you have a problem. You've got a gap, a hole. You want to fill it. You know this will do that, but you're not going to advocate for it. What? How do you overcome that? Ah, this is the fun part. And you raised, I'm so glad you did, about the idea of no decision and status quo. Um, status quo is where a buyer will look you in the face and they will say, Janice, what you have to offer is far better than how we're solving the problem today. But the devil I know is better right now versus the devil I don't, right? So as sellers, our best shot at navigating that is to make it so that the devil they know is actually worse than the devil they don't, right? There's a, a, a term one of our customers came up with a long time ago, and I've always loved it, which is when a buyer is making a decision, they're evaluating the pain of same versus the pains of change. So I, as a seller, can sit here and sell you on this beautiful, rosy world of ROI and benefits and how great everything will be if you do this. But a buyer is sitting there saying, I know the road to better. And it's scary, right? What if I buy this thing and I implement it and now I have to take my team off of their jobs and train them on a new process? What if something breaks? What if someone liked the old way better? All of these what ifs accumulate into these pains of change. And it's why when we look at our value proposition, we look at our messages, so often we get so isolated around, you know, what is the upside of doing something? We fail to recognize how the buyer views all those risks and costs. And in environments like these, where, look, nobody's putting their neck on the line and risking political capital for a purchase, we have to make it so that that buyer can confidently walk into their boss and their peer's office and say, this is how much our current approach is costing us. We think it's just a pain of doing business, but we're losing this many hours. We're incurring this much risk so that we actually make what we're currently doing so ugly that we then turn and say, okay, maybe we're willing to, to accept those what ifs because what we're doing right now is so, so ugly and painful. So that's my take on it. So that's quite an interesting um, evaluation that you need to do. Then, And that's, that's quite new for a salesperson who was really very much thinking about, well, all I need to do is sell to the gap, you know, my product, the benefits, all of those things. But now take that out. What you need to do is cost the pain. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. That that is is well. How do you advise salespeople to do that? What what is the starting point of that? Because you're not going to be able to sell unless you've got that cost. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the first thing I, I advise salespeople to do is to think about it in 
an analogy that makes sense to you, right? So for me and for a lot of the people that I, I work with, you can say these sales theories and it's like, I know I should be doing it, but I'm not completely hitting it. So the first thing is humanize it, right? Before you ever get into doing the math, I'll get there in a second. But like, for me, one of the ways I tell this story is last year, I stopped going to the gym because work got busy and because of COVID, you had to wear a mask and it was just easier to stay at home, right? And I had all of these pieces of information from really credible sources saying, if you go to the gym, you'll have less anxiety. You'll be able to sleep better. You'll fit in your clothes better, right? But I was still reading all of that and deciding not to go because not going was easier. Now, if I had gone to the doctor and the doctor said, Jen, if you don't increase your cardiovascular activity, you're going to have a heart attack. All of a sudden, now going to the gym ain't looking so bad, right, Janice? Because it's like relative to having a heart attack, I'll put my butt on the treadmill. So I think first and foremost is find an analogy that makes the concept make sense to you because that will help you bring true emotion and not get caught up in just rational numbers. So that's piece one. Piece two then is saying, forget the solution that you sell. And this is so hard for companies, but we really have to put that on the back burner and look at the problem your solution was built to address, right? And then when exploring that problem, what is the, you have to understand what is the conventional wisdom that causes customers to believe that that problem's okay. Like good is good enough. We can sit there on it. So as an example for us, one of the big reasons sales organizations lose a lot of pipeline today is because of no decision losses, right? But they assume it's a cost of doing business. So what I'll do is I'll come in and I'll say, look, we're so focused, many of us are so focused on beating our competitors. What if our biggest competitor is not any of these other suppliers? It's actually the customer's unwillingness to step into change. Have you ever sized how many opportunities you're losing to that? And most heads of sales I talk to will say no. Right. And so then I'll go through and I'll say, here's a way to do the math. And I'll say, look at your opportunity pipeline for Q4. Now look at any opportunity that has not had a customer initiated conversation, whether that's written, LinkedIn, it doesn't matter, verbal, and, and size up the opportunity value of those opportunities. So I did this with a customer um, about six months ago, and they came back and they said, we have $90 million an opportunity pipeline that has not had a customer initiated contact. And I said, that right there is your no decision pipeline, right? You are at risk of $90 million of loss, not because they went with someone else, not because they didn't think you were good enough, but because you didn't create enough urgency for them to change, right? So it is a formula that regardless of the company, the formula stays the same. I can do that with a company that sells insurance, you know, ball bearings, whatever. And so it's really about stepping back and saying, what is the problem? How would I size that problem in the organization? And then how do I turn that into a two-way conversation where I'm not coming in and saying, I know the size of your problem and I know all of your problems because nobody likes that, but you're giving the customer the formula to do the math. So what exactly what are they looking for? The customer that is not initiating the conversation, did you say? Right. So like I have an opportunity in my pipeline right now that has no business being in there. And in fact, after we hang up, I'll probably close lost it where yes, they are interested in sales training and they've talked about a sales kickoff and we've talked about things, but in the last 30 days, there has been no meaningful progress from that customer. So that to me is a, is a sign, a huge red flag that if that customer really wanted us at their February kickoff, we would probably be in contracting by now, right? But because they haven't said no, 
like many of us say, well, they haven't said no. So maybe I shouldn't close lost it or maybe I shouldn't do anything. So that's what I'm, that's what I mean is like these customers who express interest and we as forever optimists as sellers sometimes hold on to that versus having that difficult conversation to say, look, it doesn't, I'm not sure that this is actually something that's still a priority. As a reminder, this is how we had calculated the cost of inaction, but keep me honest, has something else popped up? And in that way, you can have a more like not a commission breathy conversation with your customer, but rather more of an executive to executive conversation. And and that's a great way to um, really look at what your pipeline is, is look an honest conversation, what your pipelines. But you can only really do that if you have done the calculation of the cost of inaction. And if they see the cost of inaction and they're still not acting, then they're out. Yes. they're out <laughs> yes I love yeah. the way you said that yeah yeah I love that you know and that's that is uh some really practical that I think that you know the audience um here including me can take away um from this brilliant conversation so so thank you for for giving us that's a really practical step so let's talk about you know um what practical strategies you'd offer to enable buyers to buy Yes, my goodness. Um, So I think for buyers, part of the problem that I empathize and relate to them on, because I've now been, I'm not a, you know, I'm not someone with a massive budget, but I have been in a position where I've evaluated purchases this year for the first time. And my goodness, it gave me such great perspective. Um, I think for buyers, the toughest thing is they are often choosing between what feels like apples to apples, right? So if I was going to buy I'm not picking on these folks, but if I was going to buy a sales enablement platform, right? They're all really good. There's not a sucky one that stands out that you're like, woo, never go with that. They're all really good. So it feels like you're buying apples to apples. Um, I think for buyers who are buying, the key thing is finding a subject matter expert who can help give you the peek behind the curtain. Cause they're all going to talk about ROI and they're going to talk about all the capabilities and features. And this is where communities to me, have become so, so incredibly important to buyers. Because if I go in and I'm buying a sales enablement platform and I go into, I don't know, Thursday night sales, or I go to Rev Genius and I type in there and say, I'm really curious for others with exposure to this, what are the things you would look back and do differently? Would you buy the same one? What were the big surprises? That to me is something that I think is a huge benefit to buyers. I just don't know that a ton of buyers actually take the time to dig into those communities to do it. Like we'll look at people looking at Gartner Magic Quadrant and G2, and those are great inputs. But I think for me, it's the color commentary of someone who's used it before. I, If I was making a ton of buying purchases, I'd be scouring those communities. I'd be asking those questions and finding that experience because that's not something we had access to 10 years ago. It's a brilliant, brilliant way to make sure you're not caught off guard. I love that because it's something that we as salespeople, we might tap into those networks, but actually buyers, I love that. That's another great one. Let me run it down now. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to give me a big head. My head's not going to fit in the Zoom screen. <laughs> this is why I had you on the podcast, which is brilliant. Okay. Uh, another one for you. Um Diversity. We're both women in sales now, and I'm sure over the years you've had some experiences that perhaps you wouldn't want to have going forward. Now, um, there is a real issue with the lack of diversity in, in sales. And, you know, I'm and like you is a real advocate to encourage more women and diversity into sales. So what more 
do you see from your perspective needs to happen? So I participated this year for the first time in a brilliant, and I mean, brilliant conference that was called Sisters in Sales. And are you familiar with it? Yes. yes, Okay. I was absolutely blown away because what they did was it was so different than your traditional sales conference because what they did is they focused on the complete person so there were conversations on things like negotiating salary investing in real estate um, looking at cryptocurrency right and they were really focused on building the full complete person and i loved it so one thing is i want to see more of that right i want to see more conferences that speak to the diversity challenges that these underrepresented communities face because i just don't think you get that in these large big format sales summits so that's one the second thing is just prior to that conference i met a woman who has blown me away her name is esther ayarinde Now, Esther started this company called Growth IQ, and Growth IQ is recognizing that black and brown women often don't have mentors or people that they can look to who have broken into the world of tech sales. Esther acknowledged that. Esther has a phenomenal sales career. And she said, I'm going to fix this by setting up a mentor-mentee program. That's one part of it. But two is I'm also going to do almost like a, what does she call it? It's like a... um, interviewer for hire. So you can, if you have a company where your entire recruiting and manager bench is a bunch of old white men, right? You're probably not going to tackle this diversity challenge as well as you can, because you don't have a very diversified point of view on that interviewing process. And so she will bring in, companies can bring in diverse talent to be part of that panel so that you actually can start to break the problem if you don't have a diverse population on your own panel. I think that's brilliant. I want to see lots and lots of companies doing that because that's the thing that like I've worked in my career and like I've been with the same company for a long time, but we've had a lot of different leadership turnovers. I've worked where it's been the old white man's club and it's just, it's icky, right? And I, I don't think anyone can stand here and say, okay, we've tackled diversity and inclusion because we hired one diversity and inclusion leader. I think it has to be much more of an organizational point of view. And I will say now having worked for a female CEO and seeing how fast changes can be made, I think having different populations represented in that interviewing process is just key to getting the thing off the ground, let alone what you do after they come on. It can't just be a way to get them in. But those are two things that really got me excited this year that I I hadn't had exposure to before. I absolutely love what you have to say. And I've connected with Esther because I thought, yes. who is this woman? And I've said, um, you know, Jen Allen has put you down as, as a Shearer. I really want to connect uh, with you, you know. So uh, thank you for that that connection. And I'll put, uh, uh, obviously, she'll go in the, in the show notes because um, we need to support more organizations um, like this. And then when you were talking, I was thinking, okay, like this organization wants to be more diverse and, and they've only got white men on, on the interview team. It's like... That organization really doesn't want to change if they didn't see that was a problem because role modeling is so important, isn't it? If you can't see it, you can't be it. Why would anyone want to work for this organization if this organization doesn't see that that might be a a, a problem? So uh, it's really great that Esther's helped to provide a solution, but it's like, really? Really? 
it's so blatantly <laughs> obvious to us, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. But you know, it's those blatantly obvious things that take forever to change because you're changing the people that don't think it's blatantly obvious. But I want to be a fly on the wall when you and Esther talk because I know that's going to be an amazing <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Well. Well. Maybe we'll we'll do a, a three way really because you know. <laughs> We sometimes think that the UK and the UK have a UK and the US have different experiences. We might have slightly different language, but actually the experiences in in terms of the outcome is really exactly the same. You know, we may have a slightly different journeys to get there, but the outcome is the same. And one is no way better than the, the other. So it's great to have that kind of like shared experience of what's working where, if anything. Love that. Absolutely yeah. agree. Yeah. So thank you very much for for sharing um, your your knowledge and experience of being a woman in sales. And, you know, we're so used to being being the only that, uh, you know, it's really important to kind of discuss these things. And and Sisters in Sales is such a great uh, at the time I was speaking in Napa when they had that conference on. And I would love to have gone to that. So I hope because I think it's been it was their biggest conference and it was really well well supported so I'm very jealous that you <laughs> you got to go to that but you know we can't yes. can't do it or we'll just have to get the timings right for for the next year and hopefully we'll have one running af- after the other I hope um, so yeah that would be great really we just we just need to be more vocal and to get out there and to continue to talk about it because I often ask CEOs what is the makeup I'm not interested in non-executive directors I want to know what is the makeup of their C-suite their senior management team because that's where you can actually really make a difference and as you say in your organization change can happen really fast especially when you have the right people that are in power that can make the the difference so you know what what do you think need needs to happen going forward Yeah, I think it starts far earlier on in our careers, right? Like I'm a bit of a weirdo in the sense that I was never 100% that I was like, I want to have a family. I was never, you know, sure about what my path might look like. So for that reason, it was a good thing, right? Because career was always an option to be priority number one for me. Um, I speak with a lot of women who are early career in sales, and I think they, they, they floor their ceiling, right? And they say like, this is just a job to me. And I get it because the sales job can be icky and hard and gross and it's a grind, right? But I think when we help younger women in sales find their voice and own their brand early, you create this powerful force to be reckoned with, right? So one of the things I I share with a lot of the early career women that I I, um, will mentor or whatever is I'll, I'll ask them like, when you're not in the room, what are the five words you want people to use to describe you? And they'll look at me and say, I don't know. I'm like, then how the hell is anyone going to talk about you in a room you're not in if you don't even know you what you want them to be saying? Like, you got to own your brand. You got to stand for something. Every good brand for it stands for something. And so I think in many ways, it's giving back to younger career women and helping them know that having a voice doesn't make you difficult or bitchy or hard to work with. It, it makes it so that you become more present in these rooms that you want to be in because no one else is going to fight for you. It's you and it's you against the world sometimes. And just getting them to lean into that, I think it's a really, really 
fun part of being a later stage career seller as a woman. And I just, you know, I, I think there's a lot of great women out there giving back and and that I think more of that, lots more of that is great. So these conferences, I think are a powerful way to get that at scale. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, I'm always, I'm not really shocked, but it's lovely when you do start having the conversations and even early stage salespeople share the icky experiences that they have that they shouldn't still be be having. But the fact that it's voiced in the room and, and people say, no, that isn't right. And these are the routes you need to take. And I, you know, the Women in Sales Conference was was saying that, you know, if you're in an organization is not willing to adapt, it's not willing to listen to you, you know, you don't feel you have the voice, you're not valued vote with your feet the time is right now isn't it exciting mm-hmm. where in some ways there are positive as- aspects to the war in talent it's really difficult to fill those roles at sdr levels and you know throughout the sales organization vote with your feet people you need to go to an organization that values you that is willing to adapt that does want you on their team and the more people that are voting with their feet. And I certainly think for, you know, the the millennials and, you know, kind of into the, the new Z generation, they're doing that anyway. They're yes, doing, they they're are. not willing to put up with this nonsense any anymore. But it's important to say to people, it's okay to move. <laughs> you don't, there isn't a job for life anymore. You move to an organization and you need to interview that organization they're not interviewing you Mm. it's the other way around you need to have those questions prepared and ask them and if they're not filling your values if they're not going to fill you up then move on to the next one that is a brilliant way of thinking about that I had not considered but you're absolutely right like I would want to know what do you think makes for a great salesperson if it's like always on the grind and hustle and makes it that I'd be like I get me away from this company (laughs) this does not fit my values and I do think a lot of the EQ and the characteristics that women bring not to overgeneralize but a lot of them to me are what the future of sales is going to look like it's not about grind and hustle and all these things it's like can I relate to this person can I express curiosity can I shut up and listen and hear what the buyer has to say I think it's really powerful and I love how the the whole philosophy of what makes a great salesperson is evolving and changing. And I think women have an absolute amazing place in that future. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you have mentioned um, Esther as your your Shiro and I'm going to put her in the show notes. So I just want to, as a final question to you, just kind of ask you, Three to five years from now, what would be your utopia for the sales industry? What would you like to see that isn't quite happening now? Oh my gosh, where do I start, Janice? Um, I'll start here. I want, I, I just mentioned this, but I want sales to be ridden of hustle culture. I want sales to be a role that is viewed as just as admiral as a profession as a teacher, a astronaut, a whatever, right? And I want to see that the sales profession invests early in sellers, not on how to make the most calls, how to send the most emails, how to just spray and pray and hope your way to victory, but actually that we take the time when we onboard someone who's made a choice to enter a high-risk career and we teach them fundamentals about what our customers are trying to achieve, the problems that they face. Like I want to see us treat sales as a true profession instead of just winging it and relying on these stupid tactics that just frustrate our buyers. But 
I could go off on that forever. So I'll, I'll put a pin on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. I absolutely love that. And the thing is, it's it's telling me you're, you know, you're motivated, you're passionate about the self. We haven't given up, have we? No. You know, we really kind of like believe that this is possible. And, you know, those changes, really, these are changes that are going to enable the sales industry to progress and grow. So I love that you've said that. So, Jen, how can listeners get hold of you? Yes. Um, make it easy. LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I love connecting with people, especially, like I said, early career female sellers who are trying to find their voice. So Jen Allen on LinkedIn, pretty easy to find. Brilliant. Lovely. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and knowledge. I've absolutely loved the challenges that, you know, you're, you're making to the industry. So thank you for being a guest on Scale Your Sales podcast, Jen Allen. Thank you, Janice. And I'm just going to throw this out because I have a podcast as well. And I don't say this enough. Rate and review Scale Your Sales podcast. It means a lot to us to have that. So if you are listening, give Janice the credit she deserves and rate that. And your podcast as well. Come on, give us us a promo of your podcast as well. Yep, it's winning the Challenger Sale and it's just breaking down the theory from the Challenger Sale book into these real-time moments and jobs to be done that we have as sellers. So thank you for that plug. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And that's all going to go in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the captioned show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.